what comes to mind. Maybe for you, the word fire brings up a log burner and a cold winter's evening and you kind of gathering around the fire and enjoying a cosy night in. Perhaps uh, a fire for you means a bonfire and thinking of uh, toasting marshmallows around the fire like that. Or perhaps when I say the word fire, you think of danger. You think of something that is uh, scary, untamable, and you have to be very careful with. Uh, well, uh, we need to be careful, don't we? Because fire can be all of those things. Fire can be a real blessing and a help and a comfort to keep us warm in cold times. But also fire is dangerous and deadly. And when it's not used in the proper way, the effects of it can be devastating. You know, every day we all handle something that is very dangerous. Every day we deal with something that has the power to uh, be very destructive in our hearts and in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It has the power to destroy us. It has the power to tear uh, relationships apart and families apart. It has the power to spiritually dull in us so that we love it more than we love Jesus. But unlike fire, the effects aren't obvious. You don't see the effects straight away. You don't kind of put your hand and feel that it's hot or dangerous. It doesn't come with a warning. In fact, it happens, this, um, it has the power to devastate us slowly and gradually and subtly. It also has the potential to bless and to help in times of need. And it can, we can use it to encourage those around us. What am I talking about here? <laughs> talking about money and finances. It has the power to be able to bless others and be generous and, uh, uh, with it but also has the power to tear our lives apart when used in the wrong way. And in this parable, Jesus wants to warn us about greed, about covetousness, about money and its impact on us. And so let's uh, think about the story again that comes up in Luke 12, verse 13. There's a man, a farmer, and he has had a bumper crop. Everything has just gone well for him. And uh, he's got so much uh, of a great crop, he doesn't know what to do with it. The barns he's got are too small, they're full to the brim, so what does he do? Well, he upgrades his barns. He gets rid of his smaller barns, builds bigger ones, and they are full. And after he has filled these barns, he realises, do you know what? I've got enough here to keep me going for years. I can retire. And so he says, let me just relax, eat, drink, be merry, because I can rest here. Now, if we think of that in today's terms, what does that look like? Well, here's somebody who has got whatever he dreams of really today, uh, somebody who has worked really hard. Uh, they've worked hard for their earnings and they've slowly become more and more successful. Uh, they've got their own business that just gets um, uh, bigger and bigger. They're able to employ more and more people and suddenly they are top of their game. They've got so much money uh, that they can retire early because they can sell their company. Uh, at the age of 40, they're able to retire. They've got the nicest car, the nicest house, uh, the biggest um, gadgets and best gadgets you could dream of. They've got their holiday home in the south of France and they've got all these things. They've got it made. And we're probably thinking up to that point, you know what, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Got everything they've longed for. We'd be happy with that. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Because Jesus again has this twist in the end of the story. You can imagine this man, there he is, he's standing on his balcony uh, in the south of France in his home. And he's just got this warm evening air around him, glass of wine in his hands, and just thinking, I've made it. I've got it. And then he feels a sharp pain to the chest and he falls dead on the floor. I wonder what our response is to that man's life. 
some might, we might think, well, isn't that what we dream of? What a man, he's done it, he's made it. But in this parable, Jesus tells us God's response to him. And what's God's response to him? We see it in chapter 12, we see it in verse 20. God says, you're a fool. A fool. Isn't that shocking? When somebody's got what we think is really what most people are aiming for in life, God says, no, you've actually ended up being a fool here. Now, the context of the parable is that this um, dispute had broken out in the crowd where Jesus was. It was a family dispute about a will, about inheritance. And someone says, Jesus, can you sort this mess out for us, please? Can you come and um, tell us who owns what? And Jesus says, look, watch out. You're in danger here. You're on the edge of a cliff, as it were. You're going near to the fire. Be careful. And look what he says um, in verse, uh, uh, verse 15. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of one's possessions. Life is about so much more than the stuff we can touch and feel and the stuff we own. We can so easily think that life is all about that, can't we? Money seems to promise us things that are most important. I mean, it seems to offer us the answer to most of our problems. And we can think if we've got money in this world, if we're rich, then we've got everything. But in this parable, Jesus just wants to show us just how dangerous thinking money's the answer to everything is. And he wants to pull that thinking apart. So really, this is another one of those parables that turns our world upside down and how we view things. So let's look at three things here. Three lies that money makes that we can fall for and Jesus offers us something better. The first thing is this. Money offers us this, this lie of self-sufficiency. Money offers us a lie of self-sufficiency. As you read through this parable, notice how many times the landowner says, I or mine. In verses 17 to 19, let me read those words again. What shall I, he thought to himself, <laughs> what shall I do with uh, these crops? I have nowhere to store my crops, he said. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, you have ample good. Uh, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Just in those three verses, he says, I or my 11 times. He sees everything is about him. All of it is his and God is totally out of the picture. The God who made everything, the God who designed everything, who controls everything, is totally not in this man's thinking. Now, can you imagine if there was a kind of a rich list, you know, fan, I don't know who does that, Financial Times or something, and they go and interview this man because he's so successful. And you can imagine the interviewer saying things like, so tell us what happened. Well, I worked hard. You know, I farmed uh, really hard and I dug up the ground and I planted the seed. And then you might ask, well, then what did you do? Well, I waited for it to rain. And I waited for the seeds to grow. And you might probe a bit more and say, well, what happens if it didn't rain? What would have happened then? What would have happened if the seeds wouldn't have germinated? Well, what would have happened? Well, nothing would have happened. He wouldn't be where he was that day, would he? Here's a man who kind of, on the appearance, looks like he's self-made, but there's things outside of his control that contributed to his success. So many things that he couldn't control. Without them, he'd be nowhere. See, money has the power, and success has the power, to tell us we don't need God. You can do it on your own. You can pay for whatever. You can do whatever you want if you've got enough money. You can live independently from him. And there's something in us as humans that we like that. We want to hear more about um, that because we don't want to live in dependence on anyone. We want to do it on our own. 
But think for a moment in our life how much we do actually depend on other people and other things. Did you have any say in where you were born? Did you have any say into what family you were born into? Did you have any say into the physical kind of ability that you have? Did you have any say into the um, intellectual ability that you have? You know, there's so many things outside of your control that have shaped your whole life that isn't down to you. Just think of the last 24 hours that we needed to get by. Are you wearing clothes that you didn't make yourself? I think most of us can say yes to that. Maybe not Sue, I don't know, but most of us can say, well, yes. Are you wearing, are you, have you drunk water from a tap that you didn't plumb in or you didn't source the water for? Are you, have you used electricity that you didn't generate yourself? Watched a film that you didn't make yourself? Read a book that you didn't write yourself? Ate food that you didn't grow and source? You see, there's so much around us that actually we need others and we need something outside of ourselves to, to help us to function. But we can slip into thinking, I don't need anyone, I can do it on my own. But God has designed the world in such a way as that every day there are reminders that you can't live life on your own. You need other people and actually you need somebody bigger than them to help you through this life. We need uh, to depend on God. This parable clearly shows us that in a moment our life can be turned upside down or our life can be taken away from us. Maybe something we trusted in, somebody we depended on in a moment can be taken away. And so we have to deal with things too big for us that money can't buy and money can't get us out of. Money gives the illusion that we don't need other people. We don't need God. I can do it on my own. But that's not how we were made to be. We were made to depend on him, to trust on him, and to be dependent not on ourselves or on him. Not to be self-sufficient, but trusting on him. I heard a few weeks ago uh, an interview that Louis Theroux uh, gave to, uh, did with um, Nick Cave. He's an Australian rock punk musician. Um, he's in his 60s now, but he was big in the 80s and 90s. And uh, he has been through a, a tremendous tragedies in his life. He'd lo he's lost both his sons through uh, tragic circumstances. And now he's started to attend, over the last few years, attend a church. He doesn't know what he describes himself as with his faith, uh, but he certainly seems to want to believe in God and wants to trust in Jesus. And he's finding real comfort there um, throughout the struggles of life. And in the interview, I thought he said something really interesting. He says, if you're going through difficult things and this idea that religion is a crutch for people who are too afraid that there's nothing else... Um, other than that, we can prove what is rational or irrational. I find that it is this crutch, and I don't see a problem with that at all. He says some people are saying, if you trust in God, it's a crutch for the weak. But he says, actually, I don't see it as a problem at all. I need a crutch in this world. He says, I think uh, we need these things to some extent, you know. And I get annoyed at those people who go around kicking the crutches out from people who need them. As some kind of virtue or truth-telling. I find that as extremely truth-telling. And I find it is extremely unhuman. Interestingly, he said, you know, people might see it as a criticism, or oh, religion is just a crutch. Trusting in God is just a crutch. But look at the world. Look at people. We are broken. We are hurting. We need help. We need support outside ourselves. And Nick Cave, in that wisdom there, he says, stop kicking crutches from under people. There's nothing human about that. We need something bigger than ourselves to help us through this life. Why do we need a crutch? We need it when we're hurting. We need it when we're injured. And this world is pretty injured and hurting. Why do you not turn to somebody who's the greatest help there is? 
I wonder if you've been trying to live this lie of self-sufficiency, that you can do it on your own. And maybe slowly in your life you've seen things unravel or you've seen things taken from you or situations come into your life you thought, I never saw that coming. Here we start to see we can't live life on our own. We need somebody bigger. We need God. And the Bible tells us that's how we're designed. That's how we're meant to be, to trust and depend in him. As we look at the rest of this power, we're going to see why we can trust in him. But the first thing is that money gives us this lie that we can be self-sufficient. And it is a lie. Let's see that for what it is. The second thing is this, that the lie of security, the lie of security. So here's this farmer who has this bumper cross crop. His um, success means that he can retire early. He can put his feet up, eat, drink, relax, be merry. And it looks like he's safe. It looks like he's secure. It looks like he's got it all sorted. Financially, he is safe for years to come. But all of a sudden, his life's taken away from him. Money and success promises us this safety, this security. You'll be fine if you've got money. But this man, in all of his planning and in all his business plans, he had all his finances sorted, but he hadn't planned for the ultimate statistic, had he? We can think we're totally safe, but he didn't plan for, well, a, a couple of things. The first thing, he didn't plan for the unexpected. Out of nowhere, his life was taken from him. However secure we think something is, at any point in this life, it can be taken away from us. Whether that is finances, or a person, or a situation we're in. It could be our job, it could be our health, physically or mentally. These things can be taken from us in a moment. It just takes a short look at the last three to four years, isn't it, to see we just don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's going to hit us next. And no amount of money or savings can help us. Remember Jesus had the parable that we thought about in Catholic Church this week where, where Jesus um, tells the story of two men and they build a house. They build two houses. One house is built on the rock and the other is built on the sand. And the storm comes and what happens? The one built on the rock stands firm, but the one on the sand fell flat. Both houses would have looked the same. Both houses um, would have looked very similar, but when the storm came, it exposed what their life was really built on. And today, we need to ask the question to ourselves, what are we, what are you building your life on? Is it something that is secure? Is it something that is solid? Because money blurs that. Money tells us that you are safe if you just have this. But actually, at any point, things can be taken away from us. The only person, the only thing big enough for us to build our life on is Jesus. He's the rock we need. He's the one who, when all things are taken away, he is still there for us. So this man didn't pre prepare for the, um, for the uh, unexpected there. But he also didn't prepare for the unseen, did he? This man had a business plan and a retirement plan and he'd be he'd all that sorted, but he didn't plan for his death. Just before this parable, Jesus had been talking about deep, heavy things. If you look at the context, he's, he's been talking about heaven and hell and eternity and life and death. And he's brought all those things into play. And in the middle of that conversation, somebody says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me in verse 13. Um, and Jesus says, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? In the middle of this discussion on deep, heavy things of heaven and hell and eternity, this man says, oh, we've got some money problems, Jesus. Can you sort it out for us? And Jesus says, life is worth so much more than that. Then he tells the parable, and the point is clear, isn't it? 
He's got everything sorted except he's not ready to meet God. His retirement might be planned for. His comfort might be there. But he hadn't been, he wasn't ready to encounter God. Verse 20, fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. He hadn't prepared for eternity. That's why he was a fool. He hadn't thought about God. He hadn't brought that into it at all. Now, have we prepared for eternity? Are you prepared for forever? I don't know if you know what these celebrities have in common. Simon Cowell, Larry King, Paris Hilton, Britney Spears. They all have planned to have their bodies frozen when they die. For $200,000, you can have your body frozen so that if at some point in the future, science works out how to reverse death, you'll be first in line to get that. If you can't afford $200,000 for your whole body, it's just 80000 for your head. Um, and that's what, you know, one of their ways, I think, in their planning for the future. But the truth is, we need more than just life in this world as it is now, don't we? We are made for more than just the however many years we get in our life. We know that death isn't the end and there's more. Because God made us with eternity in our hearts. There's a longing for more. And the problem is we just ignore that. We push that down and we forget about it. And we make no preparation for it. The verse we read earlier in the service says, remember to look not for the things that are seen, but things that are unseen. Things that are seen are temporary, transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What are we living for? Are we living for forever or for the moment? Remember the illustration that um, Randy Alcorn uses in his book on eternity. He says, he doesn't use Cairo as an illustration, but I'm going to use Cairo. Imagine there's a line that starts in Cairo and it goes all the way to Cardiff, a line of string, okay? And it's going all the way down. And then you get a sharp pencil and you put a dot on the pencil. That string is representing forever and the dot is our life. Now, the string isn't, that's not right because forever actually would mean it was going on forever. It doesn't stop, but it's a long string. And there's a dot on the pencil. Now, which are we living for? Are we living for the line or the dot? Are we living for forever or for the now? You see, there's wisdom in us living in the light of eternity. That's what it says, uh, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, teach us to number our days and live in the light of eternity. There is wisdom living our life backwards, thinking of the moment we are going to die and live in the light of that. You know, when you ask, when you ask and talk to people um, who are, have experienced that closeness to death, they say that suddenly things seem in sharp focus. Suddenly they see things differently because, well, they see what's important and what's not. There's wisdom there in living in the light of eternity. And money gives us this lie that we are safe, but it's ignoring the unseen. It is not ignoring the unpredictable. And so today, God wants to remind us, please, Make sure everything's okay for our trust in Jesus today. Make sure you're right with him. The lie of self-sufficiency, the lie of security. And the other thing that money promises is this. It's the lie of security, uh, of satisfaction. The lie of satisfaction. So in the last verse of this parable, uh, Jesus says, uh, if you look at it uh, there in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Anyone who stores up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. So he's comparing two kind of riches. He said you could be rich in this world, here and now, or you could have something better. You could be rich towards God. Uh, that is, trusting in him and his ways, and not just trusting in finances and all the things that that can bring. You can be rich in this world, or something better of being rich towards God. And the riches of this world, 
Well, they will promise so much. They'll promise to sort everything out for us, but they'll leave us empty, leave us wanting more, leave us um, just wanting the next thing all the time. So what does it mean being rich towards God? It means knowing the riches he offers. Not physical riches, but deep spiritual riches that will last forever, that offers deep and lasting uh, spiritual satisfaction. Uh, We are made in God's image, made with eternity in our hearts, and money just won't fill us up. We need more. And that's where God comes in and we say, look, you need to trust in Jesus. He's the one that can fill and satisfy our hearts. There's a man called James Altucher. He's an entrepreneur who built uh, websites for big companies. And he sold his company when he was quite young for 15 million. And he had loads of money. You know, he, uh, he bought an apartment for millions. Uh, he played lots of poker, invested lots of money in lots of different places. But eventually those investments that he made turned sour. <coughs> And between June 2000 and September 2001, he was losing $1 million a month. And this is what he wrote. I couldn't stop. I wanted to get back up to the peak. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to have 100 million so people would love me. I was the worst idiot. I had two kids. I felt like I was going to die. That zero equals death. I couldn't believe how stupid I had been. I'd lost all my friends. Nobody returned my call. I'd go to the ATM machine and feel my blood going through my whole body when I saw how much was left. I was going to zero and nothing could stop it. There were no jobs. There was nothing. I lost my house and one weekend I went to my bank account and there was zero left. He had everything. Then suddenly he was taken away and he was just an emptiness. There was a, the story of two miners in the Klondike Gold Rush in Canada. And they were, as they were looking there, they were finding loads of gold. But they'd forgotten to store up any provision for the winter. But the first blizzard came and um, they just kept on going. They found gold and they wanted to find more, but they weren't prepared for it. So one of the miners wrote a note explaining that they'd been foolish, explaining that it was too late for them. Months later, another group came and they found their bodies there, frozen, lying on top of a huge pile of gold. See, they were obsessed with this treasure. They couldn't get enough, but they couldn't see past the warm weather. They couldn't see the winter come in. They were hypnotised by wealth, and they didn't prepare for the imminent future that was ahead of them. The gold that seemed such a blessing was actually a curse to them. They thought it would satisfy, and it promised that lie of, it'll give you everything. But it left them empty, left them with nothing. So how can we stop being like that? How can we not fall for the lie of seeing money as the thing that satisfies us. Well, I think we need to see the person who is more important than the the fool in this passage. We need to see the person saying the story to us. Uh, Because Jesus tells us here about a man who had everything but lost it all. But when we look at Jesus, what do we see? Well, we see a man who um, used to be really rich in him. He had everything in heaven. He had all the angels of heaven praising his name. And then he lost it all. He didn't lose it by accident or foolishness. Jesus chose to give up everything so that he could save us. He chose to become a nobody. He chose to become uh, just a forgotten person who you could walk past in the street without noticing. He chose to become, um, as it says in Philippians, he emptied himself of everything. He became a nobody and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most horrendous way to die. He was spat on, he was beaten, he had his beard plucked. And he was forsaken by the Father on the cross. He was a nobody. He had everything and he gave it all up. But you see, as I said, it wasn't foolishness that drove him to that. 
It was love. He chose to do that for you and for me. As it says in 2 Corinthians 8, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He gave up everything so that you could know true spiritual riches that outlast any riches of this world. And today he invites us to stop um, living for the danger that is money. It can be a blessing when we use it well. But today the emphasis is this. Let's watch out. Depend on Jesus. Trust in him and all he's done for you. He's given it all up for you so you can know him. So you can be forgiven. So the lie of self-sufficiency is we don't need God. And Jesus on the cross shows us, you desperately need me. I've come to do this for you, to save you and rescue you. The lie of security is that actually it's fine if you've got enough money. But Jesus says, no, I can offer you true security. I can keep you now and forever and I won't let you go. Whatever you go through, I'm with you and I'm for you. And the lie of satisfaction is money says, I'll satisfy your deepest longings. But he says, no, it won't, but I will. I'm the one making no true riches deep in your soul. Come and trust and know uh, and, and depend on me. So as we um, listen to this hidden danger, the warning of uh, money, let's pray that we see the true treasure of Jesus, that he is our wealth, he is our all, and we're freed from the, the love of greed. And as Jesus says here, watch out with the love of greed, the love of money and covetousness, and that we would love the Lord Jesus. And when we have that money then, we can be generous <coughs> with it. We can use it for God's ways and God's glory. As we look at this man here, he didn't ask God what he should do with his finances at all. He just used it all for himself. But we know now, we can ask Jesus, how can I use my money for your glory? Uh, not to hold on to it, but to be generous and kind with it. So let's keep our eyes on our Jesus, the one who, will be, who was rich, but gave it all up for us all. Let's pray together uh, before we sing our last song.